0: everybody, welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhaus, and I am joined by Thomas. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined also by T.J. Vanthole.
1: Uh, hey everyone.
0: And our guest today is Alex Thomas. Alex, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're famous, we would love to get started there.
2: All right, well, hello world. I'm not famous. I have 130 Twitter followers, which is far from it. 131 um, now. You're right. Oh, wow, thank you. OK, and now I'm famous. I take it back. <laughs> yeah, so extremely, ridiculously, kind of obsessively overactive open source contributor is probably the best way to describe it.
3: Hey, folks, one of the things that I find that really makes a difference for people being happy in their job is working in a place that makes a difference. And there's a terrific company out there that's looking to hire a full-stack developer just like you, and that's Faithlife. Their average tenure is five years. I mean, five years, that's forever in developer years. Usually, I see people changing jobs every one to two years. People are sticking around because they're great. They have a great values-based culture, and they are hiring developers in the United States. They're looking for full-stack developers who can do C Sharp or JavaScript on the back end, and React on the front end. Go check them out at devchat.tv slash faithlife. That's devchat.tv slash faithlife.
0: So what kind of open source do you mostly work on, or is it really all across the board? It used to
2: be kind of... I was I was originally focused mostly in in Java and more lower level languages. I used to do a lot of uh, like embedded systems design, but ever since I found React and particularly React Native, like I've just gone crazy. Literally, like from the very first day I found it, I've not stopped typing React Native code like every day. <laughs> so I'm I'm always just contributing kind of like new libraries for it now. It's just it's it's so fascinating. So there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of abandonware mostly. <laughs> <laughs>
4: same guilty
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so you said java so can i assume then like android background as well like native android yeah absolutely yeah so uh, really the the java came from university so when you do like an engineering based
2: course i think probably even still now java is like the main one to go through it's kind of like that nice sort of high level abstraction but it still gives you a real appreciation of some of the, the low level concerns that you need to so performing things like io and things like that but yeah I, I i used to love the idea of like trying to build my own android app and it's kind of it's it's so crazy to me how simple it is with tools like react native now compared to how it used to be because when i started the tool chains really weren't there i was having when was to, that? oh man 2000 and i want to say like two, 2015 14 15 i think it was really the kind of difficult back then because obviously i was still really inexperienced as well but i was doing things like i was having to kind of ssh onto a computer that actually could run android studio make an apk there pull it back down copy oh, and paste rough. it into my oh, it was, it was horrible it was it was awful so like working with react native now it's kind of it's why i'm so obsessed with doing it because it's so much easier i feel like i'm kind of making up time that i lost in the past so yeah, I think how that's...
0: did you get introduced to react native
2: i was really lucky so you know my my first job like in industry kind of after i'd done my phd which i dropped out of by the way because all my <laughs> idols dropped out of, of universities so i had to do it as well yeah i, I started working I, I headed up like the development of uh, this android app we have in the uk which has crossed like a few thousand uh, pubs and restaurants i used to get like a million active sessions a month which was really something to be proud of but yeah but post-covid that's that's not happening anymore <laughs> but i was really lucky because the api we had it was kind of generic it was to do with ordering food and so they hired a couple of contractors to build like a web-based solution for that and it was this greenfield project and they got to really study the industry and pick the technologies that they wanted to use. And they ended up settling on React. And I remember it was probably the, the first week I was really at that job. And I got to see kind of like their first prototype. And I got to see them kind of using like a hot reloading. They made the change and it came up on the browser. And I was like, what is yeah. that? That I was, that was mind away. blowing. Yeah. yeah unbelievable and I was so amazed by it and I was like uh, you know I was talking to one of the contractors and I was just like that's incredible you know I wish native programming could be that quick you know I'm so sick of compiling
4: all the time and it's like dude like React Native is a thing so I started looking into it and I've just never looked back an interesting bit of of React Native history like that developer experience that got you into it that was the reason why React Native was created in the first place mm. just getting that really, really tight turnaround time between making a change and seeing the result completely changed the game for Facebook because Facebook is obsessed with iteration speed and that sort of thing.
2: It it made me, like, angry or, like, upset because, like, I had spent so many time like, so many, many hours, and I'm talking, like, probably weeks' worth of hours just compiling after changing, like, the background color of something. It's insane. I I'm like, the, I I feel sorry for the people who still haven't really caught up. I'm sure that people who still use these these like the kind of older like more primitive ways of doing it, they'll have a really good reason to do it, but my heart goes
4: out to them because it doesn't need to be that way anymore. What's interesting is like the React Native like that developer experience has kind of leaked over into the the native world now with Swift UI and iOS and and Android even has a way to do like native hot reloading. Mm. Now which so they're they're starting to get some of the stuff that we've had for what feels <laughs> like forever in the web. No, absolutely.
2: I think that it, because I mean, the, the hot reload and that was the first thing which really kind of caught my attention. But it's the overall kind of like support and frameworks that go sort of like around it. Like, for example, you know, when you're doing native development in, in Java, for example, or, or Objective-C, you know, you've got CocoaPods in Xcode or you've got Gradle for your dependencies in Android Studio. But there is nothing as simple as just being able to install something from, you know, Yarn or, or NPM and be able to process type that in your application immediately and you know you can see how well documented it is you can understand uh, you know it, it, it's so well supported you can raise issues it just feels like the community overall is a lot stronger the pace feels a lot faster things can get turned around a lot quicker so I still think you know it's amazing that you we can achieve these things in native anymore but there's the, that kind of surrounding ecosystem I mean that's what really uh, like keeps me here I think
0: so you said that you've done a lot of open source stuff. Are there any either libraries that you've contributed to or libraries that you've built that are really, have really taken off and caught on with the community?
2: <laughs> Probably not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of strange. So like, I like to write a lot of stuff in React Native all the time. I do I do React stuff as well, but like predominantly that's what my focus is. And it really comes out of desire to show people like what can be achieved, because I I do often find that there's a lot of skepticism about how performant a React Native application can be. What can what can you really do in it? There's still a lot of like fundamental misconceptions. So I really like to try and just find areas of React Native that I don't think are as well kind of developed or as well researched. And I try to just spark some interest in projects there, just to try and see, get people to sort of see what's possible. The most popular repository I've gotten is, so I wrote it in like two hours, right? It's always the way. You can spend months on a project, you put it out there, and it'll have one star in six years' time. Yeah. Or it, you can spend 20 minutes on this other project, and it gets retweeted by someone who's really famous in, in, on Twitter or whatever, and it gets you a bunch of stars. And that, that happened with one of my projects, which is called React Native Quiet. So what quiet is, is it's a way to kind of transmit data, about using sounds to transfer medium. There's a really kind of weird, sort of interesting kind of background to that because all I'm doing there really is that I'm kind of hooking into a pre existed sort of compiled binary. This other, sort of well, it's an open source initiative. They've done all of the hard work and I just hook it up to React. There's nothing kind of special that I've done there. But that project, I think, was originally inspired, inspired by something called Chirp. If you remember Chirp, do you remember it was like you sounds could t- vaguely make these familiar? Little- yeah. So, like, you could type a little message and it would send a sound that sounds like a cute little bird making like a little, a little chirpy noise and other devices could hear it. And when I when I saw that, I'd studied digna, digital signal processing in university. and I studied a lot to do with like transducers and signal processing. Nerd! <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, I can do this. I know I can do this. And so I kind of went away. I studied kind of algorithm that they did it. And I was the first person to actually, actually publicly break that protocol. And it sucks now because they're a really lovely company. They were so nice when they found out I did it. They they weren't mean about anything, but they don't exist now. I don't know what happened to them, but it makes me so sad because I think that they were working on some really, really interesting stuff. And in in a weird kind of turn of events, like that repository that I've got there, that's one of the few kind of records of what they really did, like the website's down, all the documentation's kind of gone. So I feel really lucky to have preserved that. But it's another one of those things where... I work on these random projects. I get an idea. I think I can do it. I'll do it. I don't know whether or not it's gonna be successful. I don't care. And that's that's kind of like an interesting example where I just made it just to see if I could. I did. And it's only now where that's actually become quite an important thing that I did it, I think.
1: I'm curious. So since you've topic of sort of doing like pushing the boundaries of React Native or doing some interesting things, I think one question that comes up a lot in the React Native space is I, I decide I need a native app for my company or personally and I'm debating between writing this thing natively and writing it with React Native. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you're enthusiastically in like the, the React Native camp, but what are the sort of scenarios you see that still do require that React Native still isn't solving adequately? Like would you build almost anything in React Native today? What are the sort of situations that you might say, you know what, React Native isn't going to cut it here. I I actually need to go raw native.
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. So the thing is I've, you know, I've done the whole native development stuff like originally, and I can tell you just in terms of the amount of time that React Native saves you, like that's a massive incentive. But obviously it's, it, it's only really important if, you know, if you really want to be able to take advantage of the open source stuff, I think that's what makes React Native so powerful. There's so much stuff out there, but some applications, you know, maybe aren't suitable to use with open source code. So for example, things which are like security sensitive, you know, things where you really have to worry about the type of software that you're pushing your data through and also conversely you can still achieve I suppose it really depends on what it is that you want to do because I would say that there are are a really really broad level of, of functionality that you can achieve with React Native now and it's increasing all the time but you know you might find like specific platforms like aren't quite there yet or like for example a really great one is you've got react native web right so an equivalent question would be like i could write something in you know standard conventional react or i could write it in react native web you know it's kind of the same thing it's like why would i prefer to use react native web over over react and you know you you could argue again it's more about the ecosystem you know there are certain kind of like interesting sort of caveats to when you are using react native web it limits you from being able to access like other platforms and um sorry other kind of open source code which makes assumptions about the runtime environment you know like there's lots of common libraries for example like crypto or fs they're not available out of the box with react native you have to seek alternatives so when you think that well obviously there are tons and tons of dependencies which are built on upon these these core kind of libraries in the node infrastructure you know that's where it becomes a bit of a caveat as well you know it's it's like any project you really have to look at the you know the technologies you pick really closely but you know I hear I'm biased right but I hear success stories about what people are able to achieve with React Native all the time you could look at existing examples of where people decided it wasn't for them so I remember you know Airbnb they were really really heavily into React Native and at the time I was so excited about it and I remember coming into work one day and my boss had printed off this article about sunsetting React Native. He printed it? Yeah he printed it and he put it on my computer and I came (laughs) in (laughs) And I was so... I, I was it, it was a weird time for me because I was I was I was sleeping like two or three hours a night I was programming right around the clock so like I didn't really have the brain power to kind of process what happened but it was a moment where um it got me quite worried because Airbnb I saw us like they were a real hallmark of like what software development should look like they are that you know they've been like so successful they've open sourced so much there's so many aspects of that that really appealed to me and the fact that they were going to discontinue it you know that made me quite sad but when I started to read into it you know they were talking about the fact that they were having to put much more and more emphasis on having to write their own native code and they weren't really seeing the benefits of what React Native was providing them. And my impression of that is that, well, they released some of the most pivotal kind of native libraries that we use in React, so most notably React Native Maps. It's really, you know, it's it's, it's in so many of these applications. So, of course, you're going to be spending a lot of time working on, on these lower level um, kind of components, I think. But yeah, so, it, you know, in terms of the project, I do think that there's very little React Native can do. I mean, everything you can do in a native environment, you can pretty much achieve you know, in React Native because you have access through the bridge, you can do that thing. I think it's if you really, really care about performance, if you're not happy, you know, with the code that you're pulling in, that kind of thing. You know, there's some kind of
4: restrictions about that, but I would 100% just recommend it to everyone. Because like you say, I don't know, I'm biased. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, like, the way that they did React Native with Instagram is they, like, the majority of the app was all native views and everything, but they put React Native into kind of the, just the only parts of Of the app that required where they really wanted to iterate quickly where it was more more experimental like i think it was the first version of the like the explore tab was all done in react native just to get it out quickly and to iterate quickly without having to go through the whole app store cycle Mm -hmm. and i think even still some of the like the random help screens and stuff like that are all react native so you can you know update the content from the server and whatever Like, it doesn't need to be native. It would be more work to make it native, so uh, eh. Yeah. yeah, I think actually, actually that kind of reminds you like that's probably
2: another reason, maybe why against you would want to choose React Native, because when, it, when, when you talk about like this sort of like partial inclusion of React Native, it kind of makes you think that there's a whole lot of like, like compiled assets you kind of need to bring along with that. So you must really want those. But obviously, it's Instagram, they've got, you know, infinite development power, I imagine. So <laughs> I'm sure they can you know, play around all, all they want with what, you know, sources actually get pulled through.
4: Yeah. So now one thing that you mentioned in the notes is you're working on some kind of Ethereum thing, which is like, I mean, I'm not a crypto expert. (laughs) But I know it's like, wait, Ethereum is like, if Bitcoin was more, more nerdy, if even possible, like, please. (laughs) The way I like to think of it is Ethereum
2: is choring complete Bitcoin. So, you know, like with Bitcoin... That doesn't Bitcoin, even make any sense. Like, what? Oh, come on.
0: <laughs> so,
2: okay. <Money> but smart. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. So, you know, the, well, the, the value in Bitcoin, is like you have all these computers around the world, all fighting, all, all, all racing to kind of, you know, brute force, like, like you know, cryptography. So to try and, you know, crack a secret key. If you crack it, you know, you earn, you earn some money. You know, that's the dumbest explanation of Bitcoin that's ever been put on a podcast but I'll stick by it it kind of works kind of works <laughs> this is this is the level of web free knowledge i have by the way this is all new to me as well but so <laughs> we, we might be able to figure it out <laughs> between the two of us I want- <laughs> Yeah. So with, with Ethereum, it's a much, you know, it, through the eyes of the developer, it's, it's a much nicer solution because instead of getting computers to kind of fruitlessly fight to crack codes, which nobody really cares about as a, as a representation of, of monetary value, you know, the, you know, all of like the computer resources, the heat, the electricity that goes into doing that kind of thing. Instead, what Ethereum does is instead of trying to crack codes, it just executes like computation instead. So when I say it's true and complete, it's like, you know, it's like Bitcoin came with its own programming language. So it's a similar kind of structure where you have this kind of cryptographic blockchain where it's possible to kind of step through the entire history of every transaction that's happened and you have this guaranteed like security and assurance of these other transactions that absolutely happens no one's getting robbed at least in a technical sense like people have you know given their money away to, to spam campaigns all of the time but that's not that's not the blockchain not getting fault. technically robbed <laughs> but uh, exactly so you know ethereum is the council. Parts part of that, except the, the blockchain actually represents changes in state as well. So, you know, it represents real kind of software that people have uploaded to this sort of decentralized, democratized like engine, which is distributed around the world. So it's, it's kind of really fascinating because, you know, we were so used to the concept of you have API, APIs, right? And they are the uh, gatekeepers to data that you need to access. You have a bunch of developers who write their own different APIs. You have to write the client libraries to interface them and all that kind of thing. But what happens with Ethereum is that you kind of take that out of the window because it's this kind of like publicly accessible record of data that, anyone can access to uh, have access to it's all synchronized around the world so you're never kind of like outdated with respect to kind of where you are on the planet so you know people try to argue that you know what we have in the blockchain is essentially better than what we've got in biology because you know it's like these individual cells actually can acknowledge each other's existence and their their states and things like that it's crazy I'm you know and I'm butchering this topic as well because you know (laughs) does this have
4: to do with React Native like you're doing something
2: (laughs) like yeah so well it's it's a really kind of interesting time like how everybody says every year it's an interesting time um, so, you know, web 3s grown a lot of prominence. You have kind of like really easily sort of available kind of like browser extensions. Like I think uh, there's one called MetaMask, for example, which is really popular. And so these are basically tools which help you kind of interface with the Ethereum blockchain, gives you access to your currency, like from, from different websites and that kind of thing. But when you compare that to React Native, we're kind of missing that because Web3, it's kind of in the name, all of the libraries that we have at the moment are so focused on the browser. And, you know, there's so much power and capabilities in bringing the blockchain to native applications. I'm really, really starting to kind of scratch the surface with that. So, you know, another one of my abandonware projects at the moment, which isn't quite abandoned, I am working on it. But, you know, Not I've been working on it. Quite abandoned.
4: Them. <laughs> I need a ticket that
2: says that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've, I've been able to sort of include iOS and Android sort of native binaries again and expose these to React Native. So you can actually start making like real native transactions with the Ethereum blockchain, but with the sort of traditional you know react api we all love so you've got um, hooks for being able to interact and that sort of thing I, it's it's really cool because i mean when, when i'm talking about adding browser extensions to your browser to be able to get access to funds like although metamask is extremely secure on the blockchain as a whole like this cryptographic secureness it's all great as an end user someone who isn't technical that is a fundamentally really strange thing to do no one's going to want to do that <laughs> so one of and that's one of the challenges we kind of have you know trying to bring this stuff over to native it's like how are we really going to expose someone's wallet? How are you going to be able to share it in a safe way? I mean, that Um, phrase even
4: sounds yeah, expose my wallet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because it's it's weird. It's a a weird thing. But um, I, I was so lucky to kind of stumble upon this SDK recently. It's called Taurus. And it is absolutely like it blew my mind. So what they've done is they've made it possible to create like a normal Ethereum wallet so an address somewhere which can start kind of transacting funds you can load it up some value you can use it to pay for you know other stuff. You can, you know, leverage it on, you know, different decentralized exchanges, that kind of thing. But the way you allocate that wallet is it's tied to social login. So obviously from a security perspective, we're kind of, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sound as great for someone who's really, really into crypto, right? The people are, you know, storing their life savings in crypto, but to onboard, you know, more general users who don't have a background in crypto, it's possible to literally give them what feels like your standard, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, whatever, sign in. But when they've done it, if if they don't have a wallet on the blockchain, they get one allocated for them. And what's even crazier than that is that you can actually create wallets on behalf of people too. So one of the ideas that we're looking at in, in the, at the moment is to do kind of like with, with crowdfunding. And it's like, you know, if you, if you know someone who's in need, someone who who could use like some kind of, a, you know, financial investment, maybe they're not technical, maybe they don't have like access to a computer very often or something like that. You can actually begin to allocate. If they had a Facebook profile, right, you could give past that their uh, Facebook profile ID to Taurus. It will create a wallet for them and that wallet is ready to receive funds. So you've been able to do that on behalf of them, but you don't have access to that wallet. It's theirs. Their social login is the only thing which is actually going to be able to get in and, and retrieve that money, so that's a really, really powerful thing. I think. I think that's going to really change
4: how we start seeing cryptocurrency integrations as we go on. Is is anybody talking? I'm trying <laughs> to to be quiet for long enough for other people to speak, <laughs> and to just like run away with the conversation. I'm sorry so, if I've just bored, bored the hell out of, out of you.
0: <laughs> no, you you haven't. You've just kind of blown my mind trying to think about how, you know, both how beneficial that could be and also Mm. the security implications that that could cause if you can start creating stuff on behalf of other people. Mm. Like, that's kind of the thing that worries me a little bit about that possibility is how easy or how prevalent it might be to just start creating false accounts, kind of like Mm -hmm. Twitter bots or false things that are getting other people into trouble in Mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. (laughs) (laughs)
4: So. <laughs> <didn't know> that.
2: <laughs> absolutely so i guess one thing to kind of emphasize here so i'm using for example in in the first kind of version of this product we're putting together the only authentication provider we're using is twitter so basically you can pass it a twitter handle and then we're going to allocate a wallet for that twitter handle so the first thing is that you know you have the verification step of like you know as an end user that is their twitter handle it can only be that person on Twitter, obviously, it starts getting difficult where, you know, maybe you're not as familiar, maybe you allocate a wallet to a Twitter handle, which looks similar to someone else. Yeah, that would be a really big problem, I think. But I suppose that kind of brings us into sort of the same realm of kind of security implications we have, already where it is possible to create a fake account on behalf of someone and pretend you're them. And it's kind of up to the kind of, you know, it is up to the end user to be able to fundamentally decide whether or not they can trust that person or not. So what we're really thinking is that, especially, you know, for earlier iterations of this product, you know, people are only really going to be allocating wallets on behalf of, sort of well known people on twitter anyway or maybe someone that they already know on twitter but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the common the common case you could because you could do it yourself as well yeah, I think this definitely, it needs to be thought about a lot harder, I think, because like, you know, we want to make sure that we're never going to be misrepresenting someone. But likewise, you know, we we definitely want to sort of make sure that people aren't sort of mismanaging their funds. So for example, so, you know, if, if somebody had allocated a, a fake profile, one of the one of these cards, and people started contributing to it, one of the most Prevalent issues we saw recently. It's like we saw what happened on Twitter recently where all the verified accounts got hacked and they're able to tweet out and say, hey, give us some stuff.
0: I was just you know? thinking about that, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. With really well-known people. People. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's it's really tricky, and I think like it's kind of it's it's unfortunate. And it's fortunate at the same time because I think that Taurus were about to really publicize what they've done, and I think like the technology itself, like it's phenomenal what they've achieved. But you know, your security is only as strong as your weakest link. If, if that kind of exploit exists in Twitter, such a such a massive company, like enormous, you know, it, it, it just kind of makes you think, I suppose, more than anything. So maybe it's also a matter of like how much do you do you have faith in your login provider as well, and you know we're not we're not necessarily thinking that you know just because it's easy to allocate a wallet on behalf of your social login it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be your main wallet you know if if you do really really care about your security you can you could allocate your own kind of wallet but we are trying to approach just sort of it's it's a way of just bridging the gap I think to people who are less familiar with crypto and hopefully just making some of the concepts involved a bit easier but. Yeah, security implications are crazy.
3: <laughs> Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com code. That's audibletrial.com code.
4: Speaking of, like, social-related stuff, there was some a project that you mentioned in the notes called Mapsy. Oh, no. Yeah. A, a geospatial social network. I mean, I love the buzzwords of that, but I don't understand what that means. What
0: does it mean?
4: <laughs> oh, my! Right.
2: So, you know, back when... Okay, so back when I told you that, I met a couple of contractors who got me into React and showed me that React Native existed. That was also the time where I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to make an app from scratch. I'm just going to do it and I'm going to pick React Native to do it. And so I I really like skateboarding. So I always had this kind of idea of like, I would love to be able to visit another city, you know, maybe once COVID is over or (laughs) another country. And it doesn't matter where I am. I'd love to be able to just kind of load up a map and just see what the best skate spots are. And the software developer in me was like, yeah, you know, that's, sounds like a, like a good premise but it's too specific you can generalize it again this is my java background so i'm like oh yeah you know how can i turn this into some object or into pattern so i kind of abstracted it to the sense that i am a human being and i like or dislike
4: things to do with locations that is very general <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I so that, do like and dislike things about locations as well. me, me yeah, too.
1: It's crazy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really weird. It hasn't taken off, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I kind of went away and I spent a really long time putting the entire stack for the social network together. So, um, it was building like a custom map, which was like kind of fun to use the ability to upload video, compress it, display it on a map, and, you know, generate, you know, like you know, preview GIFs and. All that stuff, all the security stuff as well. So, I spent a long time on their Firestore rules as well. So long that the very first project or, or repo I published onto my NPM was a programming language I made because I was so sick and tired of writing rules on Firebase. So, okay, I need I more information. Public. Please
4: add a link to that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's called Sophia. It's, yeah, Firebase rules, man. It is, I didn't know about GraphQL at the time. I'd really recommend if, if someone was going to do something similar, just use GraphQL. Mm. It's,
1: Awesome. Well, I'm, or, a, I'm actually curious, what was so bad about Firebase rules? Was it just like the complexity you were into? Or like, what? what's the specific problem you ran into? So it, there's a couple of things,
2: right? So first, it has like its own sort of bespoke syntax, right? Which is not nice, because, you know, they're, they're kind of like these sort of like static definitions of, of rules, like there's no reason in my mind why it couldn't be JSON, and that's what Sophia ended up being. It was a, it was a JSON representation of a Firestore rules, except it had some bells and whistles with it. So the complexity was that managing user authentication is really really difficult. Like what I mean is that like Firebase as a platform, it's amazingly simple, right? So it's really easy to get powerful asynchronous transactions. You can authenticate someone really simple. It's great, but as soon as you get into sort of like the nitty gritty detail of say uh, I've got a user on Mapsey and they've upvoted a comment or something I don't want them to be able to infinitely upvote it part of me thinks that that's what happened at medium with the claps they were they had to write this no I just forget just write just clap as much as you want (laughs) 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 but yeah so the, the the state transitions for something like that are ridiculous. They're, they're absolutely crazy. So like you have to do things like read the existing document, read the kind of like a flag record to represent that they've made that change. Is it the first time they've rated this document? Are they trying to rate it up when they've rated it down? Are they trying to write it down when they rated it up? Have they never, you know, all these combinations and you know, normally dead easy, right? In JavaScript, you know, it's, it's take you what, like six or seven lines to do something, which which is the same thing. In Firebase variables, my Gosh, it is it is, it is uh, really, really long sequential kind of like Boolean conditions, which are like, uh, it, I can't fit it on the screen. They're huge. They're this big. And they're, they're sort of intertwined as well. You have to sort of mirror them across different collections as well to make sure that it's sort of the state transitions that you're attempting to make are sort of uh, moderated and uh, sanitized or sort of like the dependent collections of transactions as well. It's absolutely crazy. And the main reason that is, is because like, there's no concept of a variable like you can sort of say i want to read a document at this position that's fine it doesn't support relative positioning for the paths two. so it's your absolute positions that document wherever you are nested in in your in your rules set and then you know you can have you can read the document after a transactions happened or before a transactions about to happen that kind of thing so all i really did is that i wanted to write these using json because it'd be faster. And I really, really wanted to use variables and relative path declarations. And that's pretty much what Sophia is. So I spent a really, really long time designing all these rules. And then I kind of ended up having to rewrite them using Sophia. It was great to see it work. But yeah, I I don't really work on Maxi anymore. It was an experience, shall I say. (laughs) I get the impression I bore you guys so badly. (laughs) Not at
4: all. Not at all. Like, I could keep talking about this stuff for hours, but I'm just trying to, like, how can I not monopolize this conversation?
1: I'm curious, too, with Mapsy, did it just it you struggle to find an audience? Because, I mean, like, just in Android and iOS world, right, there's so much competition for mm-hmm. finding people. Like, like, what was the journey like there, like, just trying to market the thing and find a user base? Yeah, so I, th- I think that's kind of... That was one of my biggest problems with it,
2: because, like, I... I knew I could write this like in a mechanical sense, I could build this app, I could publish it. But I never really gave much thought as to what happens afterwards. And it's a it is a lot of naivety on my part because there is so much work you have to do in building up like a following. There is so much to do with actually, you know, testing your ideas against, you know, potential end users and trying to understand what they want and what they don't want. Because what I was writing back then is like I have an idea for something, this is what I'm going to make. And when I release it, I really hope people like it, which is just <laughs> totally wrong. I saw um I saw Swix, he, he he quoted someone, it was brilliant, and they were like, if you've got an idea for a business or something, give yourself a, a like a two week aggressively sorry, aggressive delivery window and then charge ten dollars for it at the end. And I was just thinking, I wish I'd seen that like three years ago.
4: <laughs> right. Same. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's still there, I think. But like, you know, I, I at the time it was my life. I couldn't imagine actually, you know, being invited onto a podcast to be able to talk about it. I would be so excited about it. And now this, I just find so much more pleasure in just React Native as a whole. Like, I love the technology. I love the community. And I kind of, I'm really grateful that that's what Mapsy kind of introduced me to. Because that whole project, you know, it was a one man thing. It would have been impossible without the help of the open source community community and the amount of really valuable work that they've just made for free. And all I really want to do is try and, you know, give that same level of help to someone else out there.
0: So now that MAPSI is, you know, not your main focus, what are you currently working on? What can we expect next?
2: (laughs) Um... well what am i doing it's okay yeah so a couple of things i need to finish off my web 3 rat native thing because at the moment it only allows you to kind of like send ethereum around but the 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 real beauty of ethereum is being able to to execute that code on the blockchain these these smart chat uh, contracts that kind of live there but also, yeah, I've, I'm doing this work with Gitcoin at the moment. So they've, they've started this thing called the Kernel Project. And it's it's like eight weeks for 100 people to kind of get together and just build some cool stuff with Web3. And so that's kind of why I've been introduced to Taurus. It's why my descriptions about Web3 are rubbish, because I'm so new to it. But I'm really thankful for them inviting me on, because I, I said kind of outright, like, I don't know anything about this technology, but I promise I will just, I, will, I can write a lot of rubbish <laughs> so just just let me come on so that's going to be my focus for next few weeks and then I was in the middle of uh writing like audio synthesizer stuff for React Native as well as a language uh, I, I kind of noticed that there wasn't really a, a solution for programmatic generation of sound at runtime in React Native and as soon as I see something like that I'm like I need to I need to make that because no one else has thought of it yet <laughs> so people like you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i've got the ios version of that out i've hit some problems with androids i kind of just yeah. need to look at that again in a couple of weeks i think but yes yeah, so that's kind of my focus at the moment
0: well i see something in the notes about a socially responsible gambling application and i feel like i need to hear more about
2: those. <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean more <laughs> <laughs> it would you know what it would make sense to talk about that as well because that is literally the only thing i'm doing in react at the moment like not react native yeah it's kind of interesting so i'm not i'm not sure how much i can really talk about it you know the, i have had like the same boss for like 3 years i've had like the super kind of charismatic entrepreneur guy who's always just going around starting all these crazy projects and I love he was a, yeah he's he's awesome and so he he kind of brought me onto this project and um what we're making It's for like this gambling agency and they kind of, they want to make, it's like a kind of bingo except the entry requirements are like so ridiculously low. But by contrast, the actual jackpots you can get are proportionally much, much higher. Their whole idea is like they want it to be socially responsible in the respect that they don't really want people to ruin their lives, just playing a game. And that's what we're trying to really aim for. And so the whole, the whole thing's kind of like a react base. We're using, you know, uh, server side rendering for our application and, You know, I've spent like, you know, even this kind of sucks, this conversation, because like, I've spent so much time just on the express layer, just serving out this kind of like plain text react app at the moment, it can do all the function that we need. Like I've got all the hooks there, like it's all ready to go. The UI, man, though, it's just, you know, it looks like, you know,
4: something I wrote in Notepad or (laughs) or something. Yeah, this is why product developer, designer, these are really like real careers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, component um, libraries are great for that, too, to help cover those <laughs> design gaps. <laughs>
4: There's another whole career right there. I know. That's, that's the thing. Like, I
2: never, I never appreciated, especially when I was working on Maps, just, like, how valuable someone who's actually good at UX can be, because, like, I wrote some awful, awful user
1: experience stuff. <laughs> so I'm curious, too, like, looking at this list of things you've done that we've talked about, this is, like this is an incredibly prolific list. Like if I tried to throw something similar of my life's work for the last few years, I would feel, you know, I've been needing to get around to cryptocurrency and gambling and PhDs and microchip design. I just, yeah, I haven't found the time. So I guess my question is, do you have any like- A life. tips, like uh, (laughs) what what gets you motivated to jump down all these? Is it just things you feel passionate about and you just go right in? that's a it's a really
2: good question because yeah i mean because firstly i all right you, see, you know that list that i've given you there like that's that's just the react stuff all right <laughs> so if you if you go onto my my github right you'll start to get an idea of how obsessively weird i am when it comes to writing this stuff literally i spend every waking moment doing it and it is something that i don't recommend to anyone i don't think it's a, a really great way to
4: spend your time you got to really don't do what you do
2: yeah. <laughs> the whole, you know, oh man, I don't want this podcast to get sad, I guess, but it's, it's going, I guess. <laughs> we started off sad. We were talking about COVID, but I'm sure we'll delete all the COVID. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, firstly, like Mapsy gave me an incredible, I guess you could call it like a stamina when it comes to writing code, like I would get home after like an eight hour day, I'd fall asleep, I'd wait uh, for like a couple of hours, I'd wake up and I'd program for about six in the morning, like every day. And that was because I was just like, I was super depressed, super depressed. And you know, people find like coping mechanisms and stuff. And mine, <laughs> luckily enough or not was uh, writing code. So that's kind of the reason why in the first place, I just have so much of this stuff. So I wouldn't recommend depression to anyone <laughs> but you know it kind of all oh, i could say in terms of like productivity like it really depends what you get out of it because you know for me it was I would I would get have like a really serious rush out of um, solving a problem and sharing it with people you know but you know I'm not in the same headspace anymore and I'm still doing it and I think that's just a matter of like <laughs> I, I, there's, there's nothing else I can really do anymore I used to be fit and healthy but if, after you spend two years right and react non-stop all night you know I can't, There's nothing I can do anymore.
0: <laughs> it's a habit now. <laughs>
2: absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, I love it. I've met some really brilliant people for it. And I've, you know, I've, I've discovered so many interesting things, but in, in terms of like normal productivity, you know, just do a little bit a day, you know, just find something that you're truly interested in. And even if you, if you decide to commit one minute to doing it, I guarantee you'll commit at least three and it'll just kind of grow from that because eventually you know, you do find find uh, aspects of problems you're trying to solve
4: that, you know, do become genuinely engrossing, I think. So one of the biggest problems that I see in the ecosystem right now is just like how, how difficult it is to go from being just like a person to being a person that knows how to do stuff with technology, produce a thing. Hmm. So like, you kind of went from you, you kind of completely shifted gears and learned all this stuff at a rapid pace. What do you think was the key to really learning it and building your skills up? Hmm. Was it like the community? Was it the documentation? Was it the tech stack itself? It was the tech stack, absolutely. Because,
2: you know, I, I've been programming since I was like a little kid, right? Like I, I, I enjoyed it. I, like everyone starts off like you want to make a game. So I, I wanted to make a game. And then, you know, because I was, I was really into playing games back then. But then after I discovered programming, I stopped being interested in games. And I found something which was like much more kind of fascinating to me. So I spent a lot of time programming. And even at uni, every module which had programming in it, that's the module I was picking. Like, I didn't care. I wanted to do computer science originally, but my parents said it would be too limiting, if you can believe that. <laughs> um, so I would pick all these programming modules. And, you know, once, once I finally got out into industry, i had been, you know, i had been effectively just a bedroom programmer my whole life. And I was really, really excited to see what production quality code looked like. And I was so upset when I got there because
1: it, <laughs> yeah. you
2: know it didn't it look any better you know practices. and I, because you have these really like grandiose ideas about like oh man the kind of like relationships and patterns people are <laughs> people probably using you know and you get there and you're like what like this um, is rubbish <laughs> <laughs> it, it, exactly and I, I was kind of like I was kind of upset because I felt like you know I've been practicing all this time I really want I felt like I was working on a craft or something but then, you know, when I met that contractor and he showed me the code base for this, you know, the super powerful, you know, hot reloading thing he was working on. I would, I'd never seen software more like beautiful in my life, right? Because this was a guy who cared about, you know, what folder system you use. And when he, when he, when I, I love doing it now because like he showed me the way he, he separates his code. And ever since he showed me, Every time I onboard someone to a new project, I'm using his structure and I say, I bet you've never seen a program look like this before. Because you know, how many applications have you seen where it's like, oh, my views are in this folder, all my controllers are in this folder, you know, it's so difficult to navigate. So we had this thing about separation by feature. And, you know, when you actually go into the feature, like the features themselves are all combined the exact same way. So, you know, he was using a lot of Redux. So like every folder would have its own reducer, its own set of actions, its own immutable model, that kind of thing. And, you know, it was server-side rendered. It, it, it cared about cores, exp- you know, Express was spitting out the app, It was doing all these things and all these concepts that like, completely blew my mind so I was fascinated by it and I think like it was it was literally just the stack because I'd spent so much time working with these tools which felt so restrictive and they did make my life so hard and suddenly like not only had I found what made programming genuinely like beautiful and interesting again but also just something which was just so complicated there was so much to it that I could just spend you know the rest of my life till this point, right now, studying it and still not be done. So it's yeah, it's I don't know. It's just it's just if you it's enthusiasm, I suppose, like whether or not you genuinely interest in what you're doing. Because if you're not interested, then you know there's better ways to spend your time. and Just do just do what you enjoy.
0: <laughs> I couldn't agree with that more. It's such a slog when you don't care about what you're being asked to do, but it's so yeah. fun when it is interesting to you and like a genuine <laughs> problem that you want to solve.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been kind of getting into like the, the true source of human motivation and kind of trying to align my my own what I do for work with my motivations in a, such a way that it's not so aligned that I, you know, it kind of flips over the other end. Like I brought a hobby project into work one time and then it just like it just got crapified with the, you know, business mm. concerns and it's like, uh that's. Yeah, anyway that's I mean it does remind me of like a quote I love when it's like you know if you if you do a job
2: that you love you never work a day in your life
4: yeah uh, I'm sorry
2: very, I thought I'd just true. drop a platitude on the conversation you know?
0: I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well I is there anything else that we haven't talked about Alex that you think that we should cover
2: you know I can probably yes like I can talk about stuff all day you know <laughs> I think we've probably covered the most of it I don't know if, if there's anything that kind of like stuck out to you that i I could explain more or i don't know i think we've probably covered a lot of it i was going to like you know because i I, the the message i got before starting because originally i was supposed to be on the react native radio show and then for some reason that couldn't go through so they're like go on react roundup but don't talk about react native and i was like oh no so i think we've done a good job you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) i've tried i've tried not to (laughs) broke the rules now (laughs) throw the whole thing
4: out Broke the fourth wall of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just censor the word native. every yeah. time. Just right. just, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Not a problem at all.
3: Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine, and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects Mm -hmm. and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com.
0: I think that... This is the point in the show that we can transition to what we call picks, and Mm -hmm. it can be anything. It can be things that you've been working on. It can be TV shows, books, products that you have that you think are awesome. So I can kick us off. The thing that I am going to recommend this week is actually, it's called Ultimate Beastmaster, and it is a series that's on Netflix. It's a little bit like... Ninja Warrior or some of those other obstacle course ones that are getting quite popular on TV. And it's just one of those things that you can watch for 45 minutes and be astounded that people are this good at agility and stamina and flexibility and grip strength, especially because it seems like all these guys are like parkour, rock climber, jiu-jitsu ninjas. And it's just... <laughs> by what I could be doing if I really wanted to put my mind to it. So like, if you're looking, yeah.
1: Those are great shows to watch whenever I want to feel inadequate about myself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, like I feel good about pulling off like good 15 pushups and then I turn on the TV and it's like, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I love that.
0: show. Yeah. If you want something that's completely, you know, not related to COVID and is a good time killer, (laughs) this, this is one that I would recommend. It's fun for the whole family. My nieces especially love it and like jump around on rocks outside afterwards, pretending that they're doing part of the obstacle course. So, you know, it might inspire some kids that, you know, to really get into it. So.
2: Yes, so I think that's where it starts.
1: they will be jumping off buildings soon. <laughs>
0: yeah. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be my pick for this week. PJ, you want to go next?
1: Yeah. Actually, that reminds me. Netflix has another show called The Floor is Lava, which it's, it's kind of a similar concept. It's, it's kind of a silly, stupid show. Like the whole premise is there's like water rising from the ground or there's lava, right? Air quotes rising from the ground. And you have to make it from one side of a room to another. And it's kind of silly, but it's the same thing that Paige mentioned in the other show. It's just like something you can just casually have on. And just if you're just looking for something mindless to watch for a while, it's pretty good. And the other thing I was going to pick today, and this kind of a silly little thing, but headphone extender cord. So I have this this long cord that I use for just extending. I, I'm a big fan of physical Headphones. I've never gotten on like team Bluetooth headphones because I I just hate Bluetooth. It's, I'm just like religiously opposed to using it. I use a cord, but I I bought this extender so I can pace around the room. And it reminds me of like, if any of you had like the old school phones, right, with the physical cords. And I know my mom growing up wanted to be able to talk on the phone, but walk around the room. So we had this cord (laughs) that was like epically long so she could walk around the whole basement and continue conversations. And I feel like with a a really long headphone cord, I can sort of do the same thing. Like I can pace around during meetings. I I like to stand and move, especially like nowadays locked in and everything to avoid just sitting in the same chair all day. So that's my pick.
2: I love it. I feel so stupid because I saw the thumbnail for the floor as lava. And for some reason, I assumed it was like a drama.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it's that childhood game that we all played on the furniture at our parents'. Don't give Netflix
1: ideas it. though. Like I, Netflix might
4: legit like actually run with it. A drama version of that would be—I would watch that.
0: <laughs> no. I mean, some of the contestants do get pretty dramatic when their yeah. their teammates fall into the lava. It's it is pretty dramatic at times. <laughs>
4: Yeah, the way they film it, like when somebody falls in, they they cut out the part where they climb back out. So it I looks know, like when you
0: just <laughs>
4: yeah. <with> the arms. <laughs> the <love of> <laughs> <laughs> All Which right. Is hilariously gruesome.
0: Okay. Thomas, what do you got for us?
4: So I have a physical object, a one. So it's this book, Once Upon a Word, a Word Origin Dictionary for Kids, but you can just pretend that it's not for kids uh, by Jess Zafaris. I found her on TikTok. I love TikTok. And I love all the weird subgenres of TikTok. There's like, you know, there's the dancing to music TikTok everybody knows about. There's the, you know, teenagers dressed like comic book characters TikTok. But then when, once you use it enough, it like the AI learns your personality. You get into like weird sub subgenres. So I'm like in self-help TikTok. <laughs> I've discovered etymology TikTok. Not entomology, etymology. And it's just like what words mean. And just like, (laughs) I've gotten obsessed with like learning the core concepts behind the things that I'm passionate about. Like there's so much to React that's all about like state management and studying just like how the language itself encodes some of these concepts. There there are so many aspects to language. Like we we take it for granted, but we're constantly thinking in different states and properties and aspects of things and transitions between states of different things, and learning how we encode all that in the language kind of helps me take a step back and think about the concepts themselves separate separate from the like the, the specific sensory instantiation of those concepts, and that's helps me to kind of understand the concepts themselves a little bit better. And by extension, build upon that understanding to understand how to behave better. <laughs> so like I, I can see holes in my code because I'm not thinking about like the side effect of transitioning between states, for example. Like, oh, that's a thing in language. I can't think of an example at this moment, but <laughs> but it's cool. And <laughs> I highly recommend it.
0: Nice. It sounds a little bit like you might also want to check out state machines for React, because yes. that's a lot of where you set up those rules so that you can't get into those weird edge cases as much.
4: <laughs> we just had some extremely loud thunder on mute. Nice.
0: <laughs> Very cool. All right, Alex, what do you got for us?
4: I have something far less intelligent
2: to share. This morning I was on Reddit and I saw this video called Harry Potter with Guns, and it is the funniest thing. Honestly, I have not laughed that much in so long. They basically replace all of the ones with like pistols or like shotguns, like during Quidditch and stuff. I'm like, it's, it's it's ridiculous. Like, there's that scene in The Philosopher's Stone where uh, Neville wants to stop like the three from going downstairs and losing more points for for Gryffindor, and Hermione just flat out caps him in the face, and she, it's so funny. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a good distraction right now. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Well, everybody, you know, Alex, thanks for coming on. It's been really fun to talk to you and hear about all of the different interests and stuff that you've been working on today.
2: Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We're going to head out. This has been another episode of React Roundup. We'll see you next time. Thank Good, everybody. You.
3: Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit... C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y to learn more.